I'm going to go in the intro now. All right. Hit it. Thanks for listening to episode 15 of Hip Squared. I'm your co-host, John Beecham. And I'm Troy Kramer. This is American Fantastics Pop Culture Podcast, celebrating everything from the mainstream to the independent Weird, old, and local. Troy, how's it going? Back to the grind. Yeah? Yeah. Had that two and a half week vacation and just got back to my full week of work and... Uh, <sighs> you feel depleted? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that the weekend is here. Yeah, me too. I'm um, thankful for the encroaching weekend myself. I start overtime again next week, so um, I'm kind of like about to white knuckle it for a little bit longer. Oh no. But, Are you guys so I was wondering about this. Mm-hmm. Are you guys getting any more business with Google Fiber being um, announced on mobile? I think Google Fiber got it bought up by another competitor. Um hmm. but we have Charter and Time Warner, which oh, is gigantic okay. and Comcast, which is gigantic, so we have like plenty to keep us busy. But um But the, that has nothing to do with pop culture at all. No. <laughs> no. But weirdly um for little and so like they're trying they've proposed this kind of like weird experiment for how to provide people with uh google fiber now mm-hmm. which is kind of like the equivalent of putting a antenna on your house okay. as some sort of like wi-fi booster signal like um mm-hmm. so i don't know exactly how it's gonna work but instead of i guess them wiring you directly to the home they're gonna have these hubs they're like signals. They're like uh, and s- signals are something that you put on your roof, hmm. a- and for somehow those get yeah. I guess they get like some kind of signal elsewhere. So okay. it's basically like turning your house into a giant router, giant antenna. I guess I don't know. Okay, uh, that might be similar to what A and AT and T does now because I know they have a hub system where like if you have a bunch of apartment complex, yeah, uh, it'll get beamed down into a hub and then go out from there. So yeah, I don't know. I'm sure we'll have like the USB ports installed and the the jacks. Into I our can brain only wait. Soon. Did you see? Okay, this is the last subtopic before we actually get into it. Did you see Amazon's new advertisement? No. It's called. Oh, I believe it's the uh, Echo Look. Okay. So I know they've had uh, they've been trying to install microphones in people's houses, and it's mm-hmm. been working with the Amazon Echo. They finally got into their dream, mm-hmm. and they're installing cameras now. Okay. So you they've advertised this new thing called the Echo Look, and what you do is you dress up in an outfit and you take mm-hmm. a picture in front of your camera, and then it'll save it, and then you do that for like all your outfits, and then you're <laughs> like, what do I want to wear today? Mm-hmm. Oh, I can just go through my uh, my Amazon account and get suggestions from my friends for what I can wear today. Oh my gosh! Isn't that incredibly really, creepy? It is a little creepy and voyeuristic, but yeah. I guess it's kind of like the end of privacy and everything, like crowdsourcing your wardrobe. Yep. And you like start taking uh, pictures of like everything in your refrigerator and be like, Facebook, what should, <laughs> what should I, I eat? eat? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the whole it's the whole idea of like, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, 1984 was correct in that we would all have cameras uh, mm. cameras in our home, but they didn't expect us to buy the cameras kind of idea. Yeah, I know. It is kind of like a weird... I, I feel like um, everything is like the exact center between A Brave New World and 1984 mm-hmm. with a little touch of the Matrix thrown in for good measure. Yeah. But, um, speaking of science fiction... Um, nice. At, very at, nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to talk about the new Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, uh, that's been revived on Netflix. MSK 3000. Yes. So um, for those of you unfamiliar with the Mystery Science Theater 3000 or the MST3K uh, universe... That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, it's a show that takes place uh, in kind of like a... 
a moon base in outer space, but it, it's all just kind of like this goofy sci-fi premise for riffing over top um, old movies. Um, the better, the better. Yes. And so um, <laughs> they take so the the way that it got started, I was um, kind of like delving into the mythos of the show. It was created by a man named Joel Hodgson, and he started a riff show where it was he and a couple of his friends that would watch old. Um, just cheesy sci-fi horror, um, weird like bomb movies, and um, and like riff over top of them, so like kind of tell jokes mm-hmm. and um, play with the movie a little bit. And then they would also have uh, you'd see their silhouette, you see their silhouettes at the bottom of the screen. So it's kind of like uh, watching this diorama of like you're in the back of a movie theater and you can kind of see the row in front of you. And then that's where um, the main character and his friends will sit, and uh, they'll make fun of the movies as they watch them. So when did like this original premise happen? Okay, so it started in the late '80s. Okay, and it was um, I think it was like kind of like a local TV station that Joel Hodgson pitched oh. it to first. See, I was wondering, I was like, how do you? So nowadays we can do something like that. We can record our friends talking, and, you know, put it up, put it up on YouTube or put mm-hmm. it up on the internet, and you'll have like plenty of people able to see it. But back in the '80s, just how do you get that out yeah. to people? But that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, like he pitched it to a TV station. It was a local TV station. I'm not sure exactly which city, um, but they bought it up. And the way I found out he was inspired to do the silhouette is because in um, Elton John's album, Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, okay. there is a painting of um, uh, somebody watching Gone with the Wind in a the movie theater. And then at the bottom, there's like a silhouette of a movie theater seats. Hmm. And so that's like one of the inspirations for the look of the show and how it's um, played out. And um, and then he, so so basically what they had to do is buy the rights to these old, old movies or find okay. things in the public domain to watch. Mm-hmm. And then uh, originally Joel and his friends would riff over them in real time, I think. Like, it was much more improvised Oh, in the so, like, live while it was airing on television, yeah. they were making it up. I don't know if they did it live, but I think they, like, I don't think they wrote it oh, out okay. joke for joke the way it's done now. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the original inception. And then eventually it was um, brought over to Comedy Central, and that's where it kind of found a little bit more of a wider audience. I didn't realize it was on Comedy Central. So until 1990, so I think this was, like, from 1989 to 1997, it was on Comedy Central. Okay. And um, Joel Hodgson was the creator, and he was on it for quite a while. And then they brought in another guy uh, whose name is not on the tip of my tongue, but he he was kind of like the bridge in the middle. I think his name was Mike. So there has been three um, main characters, and it's kind of like there's always a straight man who's a human. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always two robots, Crow mm-hmm. and um, Tom Servo. Right. So Crow is like this cranky kind of... Um, gold metallic like like almost like a cross between like three c3po and like a scarecrow or something yeah it's it's hard to describe and then uh, tom servo is like basically a walking talking gumball machine yeah, that's what right. he looks like and uh um, with, with a beak yeah with a beak and they both have like their own kind of like personalities like tom is a little bit more wacky and goofy and crow's a little bit more cantankerous mm-hmm. and um and uh the the straight man is not really a straight man but it's kind of like he's the one who um they kind of set up this weird background plot where there's these mad scientists in outer space that are trying to make the main character go insane by forcing them to watch bad movies. And then they'll know 
the bad movie that they can use to take over the universe with. Yes. So it's kind of like they're trying to create like some sort of psychological super weapon. Solid plot premise. Yeah. But um, really, it's all just a setup to as like a way to watch these goofy bad movies and mm-hmm. kind of celebrate them and make fun of them a little bit at the same time. And it's also broken up by these really funny live action action sketches. Right. Where they're just kind of like they're usually riffing on the movie, but in like in a scene of their own. Um, so for example, uh, in the first episode of the new season, mm-hmm. uh, it's starring Jonah Ray mm-hmm. and, um, Baron Vaughn is one of the robots. I can't remember who the other one is, but they're all really, really good. Oh, okay. and, and one of the sketches was, uh, they did a, a giant monster movie called Reptilicus. Right. And then they sang a really funny song about <laughs> all the different <laughs> monsters all around the world. Yes. So if you ever are into like old Godzilla or like old monster movies, it's definitely something. It's, it's, so yeah, Reptilicus. So I've, I've watched the first episode, but I haven't gotten much farther than that. And uh, Reptilicus is essentially, and they describe it in the in the uh, show, it's Godzilla meets Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's pretty much the whole premise. For some reason, it takes place in Copenhagen, even though everybody speaks English. Yes. And, like, it could just be in Boston or something. It's... And I'm pretty sure, like, there's a general in the movie. Yeah, he's an American. He's an American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which makes no sense at all. But they're, yeah, they, so, um, yeah, they basically find Reptilicus looking for some sort of... Oil? They're like, yeah, they're like mining and they mm-hmm. come across it. And it's like, it's basically they find like a part of like what they think of as a dinosaur and then it thaws out and becomes, it grows into Reptilicus. Right. And it is like a poor man's um, Godzilla. And uh, it's funny the way like low budget movies were made back then because everything was still practical effects like today. Mm-hmm. Even the worst, best movies like um, Sharknadoes and things like that, they're all like just have a lot of CGI. Mm-hmm. And even though they don't look quite the same as a big budget um studio movie they still are like they're still in that realm of um where it doesn't look like you're watching anything like too too terrible yeah like as far as production value but these are just like yeah like slapdash thrown together um cheap sets funny costumes and um and like the excellent writing yeah (laughs) well the two of them so i've watched the first second and third episodes of the new season and the first and the third movies were written by ib melchior (laughs) great name. like i don't know that yeah but apparently he was really into, um, like, goofy 60s sci-fi, and he would always have, like, some serious scientist characters that were older. Uh-huh. And then he would have, like, these, like, young, goofy, like, um, sort of, like, romantic comedy kind of uh-huh. people. Like, like the one in the third movie is just, like, this wacky... Um, he's, like, a he's like a technical worker, like a custodian almost. I don't know. Uh-huh. He's like a mechanic, I guess. I was gonna say because the first the first movie has that as well. Yeah, the first movie <laughs> has a goofy like yeah like a janitor character who it takes this like really goofy uh, take where he plunges his hands into an electronic or an electric eel tank and just like acts like he's being electrocuted. <laughs> so dumb. I know it is really dumb. And then this, and then the third movie he goes it's about time travelers to go in the future and he's the one that like falls in love with one of the women mm-hmm. from the future who just find his like simple charm irresistible. Aww. But um, it's it's really because the second the third one too had like all these cheesy moments of um like uh '60s models standing around in like bathing suit underwear kind of okay. and like strategically like placed objects on screen to uh, prevent nudity. 
But um, oh god, that, I know. that yeah. And and one of the things that Mystery Science Theater three thousand does, it's really funny with the silhouettes, is, in the th- is they sometimes interact with what's going on in the screen. Right. Yeah. So I was wondering about that, and I'll bring this up now because there's in the first one, there's a point where Tom Servo kind of floats up into the screen. Mm-hmm. Was he able to move in like I the think, old stuff? Yeah, I think they all were to some to some degree, and he's like a real puppets, mind you. So, um. Apparently, Jim Henson Company is doing a lot of the puppetry work on the, on this series. Really? Okay. I don't know how they did it in the old. I think they're just they use like kind of like marionette looking things, or mm-hmm. um, like they're usually like on string that they either edit out or just like you can't really you just see can't it. really see because they're thin. But um, there was a really funny s- sequence in the third movie because there's a ship launching and Tom Servo like it like goes from being a horizontal to like slowly raising up to a vertical position. <laughs> but for some reason, I guess the movie people thought this was gonna be like really suspenseful. So for like 30 seconds it just slowly like <laughs> g- goes up and tom servo looks like he's like pushing it up the whole time and acts like he's the one responsible for but uh yeah it's, it's really silly humor too like, like uh, um one of my favorite moments is this guy comes into an office and he puts his hat on the filing cabinet and one of the robots says like you're mr filing cabinet now <laughs> and just like really silly throw yeah, objects like that but. so if you've never seen any of uh, mystery science theater 3000 i highly recommend watching it the first time well first of all before i even mention this it has a particular sense of humor you want, like that if you don't enjoy that sense of humor you probably won't enjoy it now if you are going to watch it for the first time i recommend alcohol yeah it makes it a lot better yeah. <laughs> it's it's just it's the kind of humor that is stupid and it realizes it's mm-hmm. stupid and it wants you to like point and it wants you to see that and go okay that's funny yeah it's yeah it doesn't take itself too seriously it's something that'd be good to even have on the background of a party because you don't have to like sit down and watch it for long like you can just pick up wherever you are and mm-hmm. get a few chuckles in and go on um and it but it's really uh they put a lot of heart into it mm-hmm. and um even like especially with the puppets and the practical effects now those are really good another um related entity that i'd like to recommend for people that are fans of mst3k is the flop house okay that's another podcast on the maximum fun network that is um i thought i'd heard of it before (laughs) it stars well the pod the the flop house has three uh people that all do it together um stuart wellington dan mccoy and elliot kalen and elliot kalen is the head writer for mystery science theater 3000 okay and he also guest stars on one of the episodes he has a kind of like a cameo he used to be um the head writer for the daily show as well oh okay and he's just like this really funny sharp witty like new york jewish comedian kind of guy okay but um very snarky and very funny kind of like like a um yeah like like you can definitely tell his humor is like a little bit related to like John Stewart. It's That's just like who I was thinking. Silly and snarky and kind of like biting, but um, he. Uh-huh. But it's it's really good. And and Flophouse is kind of like a similar premise where they take a bad movie and they all three watch it together and then they dish on it um for a while and then like they, they recommend movies of their own and they read letters from fans. But it's it's basically that same as like a bad movie premise and a lot of theirs are um are done uh in a modern times so that's okay. that's one and then um another one that's related to mystery science three theater 3000 and more closely related and its premise is riff tracks okay and i think that's something that you actually listen to while you watch a bad movie okay. and then that track goes along with uh, so it's sort of like okay. an audio version of mst3k hmm. but um those are all great if you're into bad movies i love bad movies and especially like and uh, once it, they just had a lot of heart and it's like you can tell somebody that doesn't have a lot of money or resources but they're putting 
all of uh, their effort into it. And whether it, it comes out as like an artistic masterpiece or not, like they all seem to have at least a little bit of charm. And mm-hmm. I and I would say MST3K and in the Flophouse and shows like it, it's it's not necessarily that they're making fun of the person's effort, but it's just kind of like making light of like just this insane creation that somebody's come up with. Yeah. They're that, not they're not like mean in how they how they deal with it. Right. They yeah, they they point out the things that, you know, maybe the creator thought was funny and wanted like wanted you to be funny, but it just didn't play off right, they help it out a little bit. Exactly. They give it a nudge. Um in a completely not funny direction. Yeah. Um I'm finishing up my series finally on <laughs> movie on that I will uh, lovingly name movie movie po- posters that happen to be on my wall. Okay. Um, and the last poster that I got to is the Good and the Bad and the Ugly, mm-hmm. um, another classic IMDb movie. Uh, well, classic IMDb movie, another classic movie, and probably one of the more classic movies mm-hmm. since it's like kind of the spokesman for an entire genre of movies. Yeah. Um. If you haven't heard of it, it was The Good and Bad and the Ugly is a movie that came out in 1966 in Italy. So, old movie, uh, starred Clint Eastwood, young Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. uh, rising star. Nobody really knew about him at the time. And then also, um, man, I'm going to get these names on Lee Van Cleef and Eli Wallach. Okay. Um, as, well, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So, the whole premise of the movie is there are these three guys, well, there are these three guys, and they're looking for buried treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts off where uh, one guy hears about it, and then another one finds out about it, and they're all in this adventure. I'm not going to explain the whole plot. <laughs> it's a it's a classic movie. You should watch it. Yeah. It's um, a long movie, isn't it? It is a long movie. It's well over two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to get a like figure out how long it was, but essentially, there's been a bunch of different cuts. Uh, according to the American cut, it's a two-hour and 41-minute movie. Okay. So um, cozy up, get some popcorn. Um, but it's the quintessential uh, spaghetti western. Yeah. Um, Sergio Leone was the director. Mm-hmm. He was one of the, yeah, like more iconic. Um, and it, it was because I guess they could film cheap uh, westerns in Italy and also like the scenery was just perfect for it because there's that dry Mediterranean desert kind of feel exactly so um, all of those things built up to like these these classical movies and style of movies ended up being filmed in Italy there were a lot of them made many of them were you know, didn't get that famous weren't that mm-hmm. well known um, from what I was seeing a lot of them what they would do is they would have like Spanish Italian mm-hmm. uh, maybe German actors uh, actors from that region that would play like most of the parts and then they'd have like a new or an upcoming star uh, mm-hmm. as like the star role or they would have the other way they would go is they would have somebody like an actor that's kind of fallen out nobody really knows about him anymore come back and play this role like play a role okay. um, and that's how they would try and get now the people in the seats mm-hmm. um, uh, The Good and Mad the Ugly was a part of a trilogy actually uh, oh, yeah, the guy is a um... The Clint Eastwood's character goes through all of them, and he doesn't have a name, right? He's like, what does he call like the, the No Name Man? The No Name Man, okay. um, or the Man with No Name is man what they no call name. him. Okay. Um, and by the good, the bad, and the ugly, a couple people call him Blondie, or mm-hmm. the ugly calls him Blondie. Um, the ugly's name is Tuco yeah. Angel, and it's yeah, they're they're a trilogy, but they're so loosely connected. So like Tuco's character, who is. Uh, 
play play who Eli Walk. He's kind of like the comic relief. Yeah, he's this like he's this like heavier Mexican bandito guy. And we, to look at him, you're not very threatened because he just kind of looks like you know this bigger guy. Mm-hmm. Looks like he's he looks like he smells bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if a person can do him. that, I mean, yeah, it's it's it, yeah. He's like always sweaty. He's just yeah. like exhausted all the time. But he's this uh, gunslinger and um, has a really just funny character. And it's just all general pretty bad guy yeah. but kind of is just doing what he can to get Does along. Does he get to shoot somebody from a bathtub in that movie? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if he shoots someone from the bathtub or he threatens to if shoot somebody, someone from the bathtub. Yeah. Like somebody comes in and like tries to take him off guard and then he yeah. shoots him. He's got like a gun like hidden behind him in the bathtub. No, no. Like, he always has his gun like on a neck on a oh, uh, okay. like a piece of leather around his neck. Gotcha. So he's got it with him all the time. <laughs> Um, because there's the there's the really good scene with the uh, the general store uh, in the show, and it's so there's this scene um, in a general store that now that you think about that I'm thinking about it, it's a very good demonstration of how to portray like emotion and how to tell a story without using words. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's probably geez four to five different words used for about like used in the length of about five minutes that that's cool as Tuco's got into the store and just coming back and he's rebuilding his gun because he's lost his gun out in the wilder uh out in the desert um and his interaction with the storekeep so it, it just it did a lot of um it did some innovative things mm-hmm. um in that range it kind of made the western like a little bit more gritty i think right mm-hmm. like like until the good and the bad and the ugly i think that westerns were always like not didn't have any kind of like moral ambiguity at all like they were always like very much there was a white hat and a black hat mm-hmm. and you always knew like there was like the good guy and the, the good, bad guy right whereas like the good the bad and the ugly even though it's called that like they're not like the uh, Clint Easter was almost like an anti-hero, right? Yeah, and you che- and you also end up cheering for Tuco because you follow you follow his story so much, mm-hmm. and his story is just kind of sad because he really is just like a guy that wants to get along, like that wants to get through life. And mm-hmm. at one point, like someone shafts him really bad, so he yeah. wants to get revenge on him. And it's like, yeah, okay, I can see where he's coming from that mm-hmm. <laughs> coming from with that, and even. Uh, the guy who's the bad, um, they call him Angel Eyes in the movie. Yeah. Um, like, you don't hear that much of his story, but it doesn't seem like that bad of a guy. I mean, he's a he's a um, uh, bounty hunter, mm-hmm. but I mean, you got to do what you got to do. You got to make yeah. money, man. And I guess in the old west, when it was like very lawless, yeah. Place, they, <laughs> and he has a, he people. has his standards that he sits by. Like mm-hmm. uh, one guy offers him money and. Uh, oh yeah, the opening scene. The opening scene has some really good lines because I'm just remember like I'm remembering it right now, and it's mm. you'll have to watch it. But it's this interaction between a bounty hunter that has his moral like I I'm a bounty hunter. Somebody paid me. Somebody mm-hmm. paid me to come here and kill you. Sorry, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like how he interacts with that, and you know, it's it's yeah. it's got a good story. It's got some good. Um, conflict though yeah clint eastwood is not the overall good guy no <laughs> he doesn't i mean you, the, the, when you start off the scene he's aiming down his rifle at like someone mm-hmm. good start he's getting somebody ugh. 
Yeah, Clint Eastwood is really iconic in that movie. I'd say mm-hmm. like some of the most iconic Western imagery of all time comes from Clint Eastwood's character in that movie. The um, with the poncho. Yeah, he's got a his poncho. He's got his uh, very tightly rolled cigar, cigar mm-hmm. whatever that is that he's always got in his mouth. Um, and yeah, and just kind of like the way he walks and talks, and like he's he's not the friendly. Um, he kind of reminds me a lot, like speaking of like Samurai Jack, and like mm-hmm. Sam, like it, he sort of seems like that silent kind of protagonist in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, he's the, he's the lone man. Yeah, and I think too, it's kind of neat, like the way there's like sort of parallels with the samurai genre a little bit too, because everybody has their like codes of honor and like mm-hmm. how they choose to follow them and how they kind of like navigate these conflicts that they have between each other. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really good music in that movie too. There is. It? Well it's it's the classic. Is it like that do 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 it's the classic Western like, so it's like a cliche at this point because it's been made fun of so many times. Exactly. <laughs> like so many times. Oh I love it. Uh but it's it's the song that if you hear of it, mm. you should go it's like, oh yeah, that's good in the mad and the ugly. And they use it to great effect. It's the opening song mm-hmm. and it's um, when there's a big standoff, because it's a it's a spaghetti western, there's always mm-hmm. a big standoff. It's playing through for a solid thirty seconds, and the entire time it's intense. Yeah, is that the show? Is that the one that started the whole like technique too of like the really tight close up of the yes. eyes back and forth? Oh, it's so good <laughs> because you start off and it's these three guys. They've done a Mexican standoff mm-hmm. where you know they're all they're all standing, they're looking back at each other, trying to figure out who they're gonna shoot. Um, and then it's just, the song's playing in the background and it has this build of this and it'll zoom in on one of them and yeah. like it keeps zooming in on their like first on the person mm-hmm. and then on the face and then it's just the eyes yeah. and all of a sudden silence and then that's when everything happens yeah and somebody will pull their pistol out and start shooting in oh it. yeah <laughs> and it's 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 got the back to the samurai motif mm-hmm. um it, that closing scene instead of being you know, the big action Hollywood scenes where it's super drawn out and it's like chasing after each other, firing mm-hmm. shots, people missing. It takes between the first shots fired and the last ones fired seconds. That's cool. It's maybe a second or two. So it's all like the anticipation and the build up. It's the build up to that moment and then everything happens. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. Um, and the movie just has good tension. Um, you're often concerned for the characters. Mm-hmm. You're not just. You know, you're not just like, oh, this is whoever it is. Like, there's there's serious concern at several points for, um, for Tuco, for Blondie. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it also has the, um, if you want to feel manly, mm-hmm. it's a great way to. It's a great way to feel manly. <laughs> it just has a very like masculine motif to yeah. the whole movie. Um, is it like strong, silent type kind of strong, silent type? These guys that are. That are getting through the day, they're doing yeah. their job. They got guns, gunfights are happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very influential too. Um, I think some of the more modern uh, westerns have a lot to owe to it. Like uh, Unforgiven was Clint mm-hmm. Eastwood. This is basically Clint Eastwood's western that he made himself. Right, Tombstone. And Tombstone is yeah, the, very much like in that same vein where you have a lot of really like charming, roguish kind of characters, but they're not really completely um clean clean yeah like even Wyatt Earp is sort of like yeah like a little bit rough and tumble in that movie and then mm-hmm. um and like kind of like sort of the sillier end of the spectrum you have movies like Young Guns oh yeah did you ever watch Young Guns <laughs> I'm trying to think of- uh, that was the one with um it had Kiefer Sutherland Emiliano 
Estevez and Charlie mm-hmm. Sheen in it, and it was about oh, Billy the Kid. Okay. And there are two of them that came out in the early 90s. But it, it, you can tell that, um, like, The Good and the Bad and the Ugly had a an, a strong influence because it's kind of like, there. it sort of, like, created that archetype of the Western antihero mm-hmm. where it's kind of like, um, it's like you like them, but you don't like them because they're good protectors of the weak and innocent. It's like they have their own motives that aren't really pure but that's kind of like it's it's sort of like what makes you root for them is like the appeal that the characters have themselves right and the characters themselves are i mean well fleshed out characters they're not your shallow all right you, you know you made a western character sure good for you yeah um the last things I'll say, I didn't get to. I didn't even get to check if it was nominated for any awards. I doubt it. Yeah. Uh, it was originally usually genre films like westerns aren't, but right. And it was originally released in Italy. I don't think it got released in America yeah, until like, like to the instant uh, until like the eighties. If that counts as a foreign film or how that works, if it's like shot with American, at least some American actors, but then yeah. in English, but it's an Italian production. Right. And I think it was in, I was reading, it was like an 80, in the 80s or the 90s, they did a DVD release mm-hmm. of The Good and Bad and the Ugly. And actually, that's the poster that I have in my uh, on oh, my wall, the is the DVD release. That's cool. And it annoyed me because when I bought the poster, I didn't notice it says, no, on DVD in the oh, corner of funny. it. So it's like, <laughs> ah. But, um, uh, it was released as a D- in a DVD release, and I think that was the hunt- the 161 yeah. minute cut, like the two the two hour one. 40 minute cut. Um, but they ended up having to bring in um, Clint Eastwood, uh, Eli Wallach, and then they had to get a replacement for Lee Van Cleef. They had to dub a scene or something because they had to dub in some of the scenes, or they added scenes back that were cut from the original movie. Uh, but they didn't have the sound for. But them. they didn't have the sound for them, so they had to bring them back it's in. It's cool that the actors actually went ahead and did that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys also want a really good Western fix, I heavily recommend the Rockstar game um, Red Dead Redemption. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, it definitely takes a bunch of influence from the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, mm-hmm. John Marston, the main character, even has an outfit that you can equip that is basically the poncho from the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, and if you want, yeah, that follows along the yeah. same line of like the the bad, good guy. Yeah, the, West, like, yeah, the Western anti-hero, and it's got like all the great... Um, kind of spaghetti western style soundtrack and it mm-hmm. has all the different like western scenes that you can imagine mm-hmm. um cliche stereotypes yeah, it's all there it's wonderful and then the the one thing that kind of like adds a little twist to red dead redemption is it's sort of like the end of the era because it's in the very beginning of the 20th century when the frontier is kind of closing mm-hmm. and so there's a little bit of like modern uh, american life like civilized life kind of like creeping mm-hmm. into it so that's a uh, a really good one if you guys um, want something to play after you get done watching Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, I will mention. Um, so I mentioned it was part of a trilogy. Uh, a Fistful of Dollars and A Few Dollars More are the two movies before okay. that. I've watched one of them. I can't remember which one. Are the one. Dollars movies more closely related because of the titles? Yeah. Okay. Um, again, I've watched them before. I can't remember much from either of them. Yeah. They were pretty forgettable. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, Definitely Good and Bad and the Ugly. It's a classic. You should see it. Mm-hmm. It's in the top probably 10 to 15 in IMDb. Oh, neat. So. Yeah. And probably, and I'm sure, like, considered one of the best Westerns of all time, too. Right. Uh, well, thank you guys for uh, listening. I did want to thank 
danosongs.com for our intro and outro music. If you guys need some free music for your project, uh, danosongs.com is definitely an excellent resource to check out. Thanks, Dano. And if you'd like to uh, support our podcast, the best way you can do that is uh, share us on Facebook, um, let people know about the show, blast us on social media. Uh, you can also support us directly on Patreon anything else uh and we will definitely appreciate any love and gratitude you guys send out to us uh you can also check out more audio content on americanfantastic.com that's where you can check up uh, catch up on all the old hip squared episodes um all the episodes of the american fantastic radio hour are also there and there's also all kinds of cool art and writing and other things on the website uh, the spring update is coming imminently so if you like American Fantastic on Facebook, uh, that's definitely a good way to stay tuned. We'll let you guys know when that update's officially up as well. I uh, wanted to thank Mayplex Monk for running the boards. Thanks, Mayplex. You guys can uh, check out more about uh, what Mayplex has going on at mayplexmonk.com. Uh, you can also check out the creative community on Facebook. And uh, Troy, is there anything else that you would like to say? Nah, brah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will catch you all next time. Toodles. Toodles. Toodles.